All right, glad you're here tonight. Hope that you picked up both the outline and I also made for you a copy of the quotes that I'll be using tonight. Um, so if we run out of the quotes, be sure we have at least one per family unit that, they, that you can take home with you. They'll also be put up on the screen as we go through this. During this summer months, what I'd like to do, because we'll be on and off because of Vacation Bible School and different, different things going on, but, but while we're here, I'd like to do, uh, have a time of studying what I call comparative religions. And, and basically, there's no way we can deal with all the religions in the world because, man, there are so many of them. But we will deal with the major influential uh, religions of the world and we, we did I did some on Islam a few months ago we will touch on Islam again this summer if time permits but we're going to begin uh, probably with with one of the most influential world religions that is based a lot here in the southwest and and we're going to begin uh, with Mormonism if you remember a few it was not but a few years ago that Mormons himself would tell you that they were not a Christian church it wasn't until recently that their prophet came out and declared that they are a Christian church in the same vein as all the other churches. For a long time, they taught that that uh, all the churches had lost the the all the other churches were churches that did not have the the the, the, the hand of God upon them, the, the touch of God upon them. Um, uh, David just brought me brought me this up here. I have this in my library. I also have uh, the other three books that are that they use. And if you if you have a, a Mormon missionary come to your house, they will carry a a set of four. It will be the King James Bible, it will be the Book of Mormon, it will be Doctrines and Covenants, and it will be the Pearl of Great Price. That, that Those are their holy books. That, those are the books that they use. And uh, so... Uh, what I want to do here is, is kind of let them speak for themselves, and you can evaluate according to Scripture whether or not what they teach is biblical Christianity. becomes important because we're talking not merely about temporal issues when we talk about world religions that would, that would vary from the biblical text and the biblical teaching. We are talking about eternity here, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to lose sight of that. We are literally talking about people's eternity, where they will spend eternity. And that's probably the most important issue that I can even, that I can even think of. And so if you have a religious group that's teaching something that, particularly about salvation and, and who you put your trust in, is contrary to the biblical text, then we've got some real issues with that. So we begin tonight, and we're going to talk tonight about God. Boy, what a big subject, huh? Uh, but, but the point tonight is, is to look at, first of all, at the biblical teaching of God, and then, also, then to look at what the Mormons say, the Mormon faith. The church of, they will also call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what they say about God. So take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20, and starting with verse 1. I know you're familiar with this. This is the beginning of the commandments, the Ten Commandments that we call them. And we have God speaking these to Moses, and here's what he said. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. So we have a declarative statement by God that he is God. Again, it's kind of like Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 that we looked at not too, not too long ago. Genesis chapter 1 is the, verse 1 is the declarative statement. In the beginning, God. God doesn't try to prove himself. God doesn't try to impress you with who he is. In that sense, he just tried, he makes a statement. I'm God. Before anything was, I was, and I created all that is. That's, that's a biblical truth. Now God is saying to his people, he's, he's saying to his people, I am the Lord your God. 
I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage, and you shall have no other gods before me. Now, this text speaks, I want you to look at this text in a couple ways as you think about this. Having no other gods before me. Well, first of all, it would mean from the biblical perspective that there is no other God except for God. And as you go ahead and you read Paul's writing, Paul even says, he says, when he talks about meat offered to idols, he says, you know, meat offered to idols really means nothing to me because there are no other gods except the one true God. But if it had caused someone to stumble, I wouldn't eat that meat, is what he says, basically. Okay? But the point is, he, he's declaring a truth. And it is, it is an eternal truth. There is only one God. Okay? There's no other God besides God. So in that context, you have no other God before him. The other thing is, he clearly is speaking of, as you, as you keep this in context, he's speaking of, of the inclination of man to have many gods. Okay? So, not just believing in another God, he's actually saying, you will have no other gods before me. You will have no other gods in my presence. But he got that? You won't, you won't go after another God for sure, but the second thing is, you will have no other gods in my presence. There's no other gods you will have before me. You read the Old Testament text over and over again, that's what he says about to Israel. He says, you've gone after other gods, you've gone after other, other beings to worship and stuff. You have, you have basically, he said, you've cheated on me. You were to love me, you were to, I was to be the only one in your life, but you've gone after these other gods, to have no other gods before me. Now as we look at who God is, we, we look at the, the biblical text, and I'm not going to have time to read all these verses that you'll find in your, in your outline, but I put these there for you to read uh, after, you know, d- during the week. What does the Bible teach us about God? Things that are true of God and only true about God. What are the attributes that we find that make God who He is, according to the Scripture? So we, uh, I want to just share with these very very quickly. We begin with the first one. The, the term that we use there is omnipresent. What's that mean? You know it. Give it back to me. That He has the ability to be everywhere, everywhere fully at the same time. So as we meet here and we worship, isn't it wonderful to know that our brothers and sisters meeting somebody else in a different lo- somewhere else, a different location, God is fully there with them also? That's God who's omnipresent. Okay? God who's omnipotent. What's it mean? All powerful. Is anything too hard for God? With God is anything impossible. See, that, that speaks of the fact of His power. He's omnipotent. There is nothing too difficult for God. The third attribute is omnipotent. No, I said omniscient. I got it mixed up, didn't I? What do y'all let me go on like that? Okay, we've already done with the omnipresence. Now let's go to omniscient, which actually means He's what? Everywhere. No. See, you're trying to mess me up again. Okay. All right. No. Omniscient means He knows all things. Oh, this is going to be a fun study. I can tell that already. There's nothing that God does not know. He literally knows. He does know the end from the beginning. He knew you'd be here tonight. He knew who wouldn't be here tonight. He knew you would receive His Son Jesus as your personal Savior. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows what you're going to do this week. And you can't even hide from Him because He's omnipresent. Okay? Alright? So, he knows all things. There's nothing beyond his scope of understanding. He doesn't just know them in the sense of fact. There's nothing beyond his scope of understanding. Alright? The fourth attribute. We'll try to get this one right. 
He's immutable, which means what? He doesn't change. Who God is today, God has always been. He's eternal. He is complete. He is fully who He has always been. And tomorrow you can be guaranteed He will be fully tomorrow who He was today. As He was 2,000 years ago. As He was before time began. As He will be when time ends. He does not change. He is fully God. And these, these are important things we get into the teaching of the Mormon church. Alright, the other things the Bible teaches about God. Holiness. There's only one who is holy. Completely holy. God. Okay. Righteousness. There's only one that's always right. There's always one that's always righteous. It's God. The Bible tells us this about it. It says there's none righteous, no, not one. Only God is righteous. The next attribute. He's merciful. Which would be of necessity for us. When you start reading about the holiness and the righteousness of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the knowledge of God, the fact that God does not change, aren't you glad He's merciful? Because we all know what we deserve in the face of who God is. But isn't it wonderful the Bible teaches us about this wonderful God, our Creator. He's also a God of great mercy. Because if He wasn't, none of us would have any hope. Okay? The last thing the Bible tells us about God that's true about God is he is the perfection perfection of love you know the, the New Testament apostle said God is God is love God is love so he perfect love the kind of love we'd all like to experience in every avenue and every area of our life but only God can give that kind of perfect love So when you look at these attributes of God here in the first part of your outline here, what I hope that you will see is what the Bible teaches. These are the eternal attributes of God. These are are the the things that from from our understanding, or, or may I put it this way, from God's revealing himself, these are the eternal attributes of God that belong to him and do not belong to any other being. These don't belong to the angels. Certainly, many of these things we know doesn't belong to you and I as human beings. These only belong to God. And again, they have always belonged to God. Okay? So, now, as you look at these things, let's, let's begin to break down for our study tonight. What does the Mormon church teach about God? The first point I want to share with you about God is that the, the, the gods, and notice there I put in plural and I tried to make sure I did this in small case, the gods of Mormonism are many. The gods of Mormonism are many. While the God of the Bible is one. Look with me, let's look at the Bible text first and then we'll look at what the Mormon church teaches. So we'll set the basis as a basis of truth. And then we'll move in to what this religious group teaches. Take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy with me. And Deuteronomy chapter 6. Anybody familiar with this particular passage, what it's called? The Shema. Okay. Verse 4 particularly, here's what it says. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is... One. Okay? Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8.
And look at verses 4 through 6. And here's what he writes. And I mentioned this a little bit ago, but this is a reference. He says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. Everybody got that? You know what an idol is? A figmentation or a fig newton of someone's imagination. Right? Got that? Everybody got that? But what, is men, what do men do? They create their own gods. And they worship. And, and Isaiah, Isaiah, he says, in his, what's he saying here that he talks about? Pretty much, you people are incredible. You take a piece of wood, a tree. You cut down the tree. And one portion of the tree, you carve for yourself an idol that you bow down and worship to. With the other portion of the tree, you burn it in the fire to warm yourself. And with the other portion of the tree, you burn it to cook your food. It's all the same tree. So Paul reminds us here in 1 Corinthians, he says, he says again, starting in verse 4, he says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are, even if there are so-called gods, whether in the heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords... Again, so what's he, is he contradicting himself? No, he's trying to help you see that from a human perspective, there are many gods and many lords. Okay? Yet, for us, there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, all, uh, through whom are all things and through whom we live. So Paul reminds us that there are not many gods, but there is one God. So what does the Mormon church teach about God when it comes to the plurality of God? Well, I would say to you that that's exactly what they teach. They teach that there are many gods. In your hand you have some quotes that I'm going to read and have you just follow along as I read. They'll be on the screen also. My point here is not to spend a whole lot of time dissecting what these say, but these are... I want the Mormon church to speak for itself. So I have quotes from you from their prophets, from their teachers, what they said about these issues. So we began with this matter of the, the plurality of God, that there are many gods in Mormonism. Starting with the first quote there, you'll see on the top of your paper says, First, we believe that God is a being with a body in form like man's, that he possesses a body, parts and passion, that in, that in a word God is exalted, perfected man. Second, we believe, what's it say? In a plurality of gods. Third, we believe that somewhere and in some time in the ages to come, through development, through enlargement, through purification, until perfection is attained, man at last may become, become like God, a God. By the way, that first quote pretty well talks about all three of my points, if you haven't got that yet. Okay. Do you see how incredible that statement is? Do you see anything Christian in that statement? I'm going to keep bringing you back. Do you see anything biblical in that statement? Let's read on to the next one. Brethren, 225,000 of you are here tonight, and I suppose 225,000 of you may become gods. There seems to be plenty of space out there in the universe, and the Lord has proved that He knows how to do it. I think He could make, or probably have us help make, worlds for all of us, for each one of us, 225,000. Just think of the possibilities, the potential. Every little boy that has been born becomes an heir to this glorious, glorious program. When he is grown, he meets a lovely woman. They are married in the holy temple. 
They live all the commandments of the Lord. They keep themselves clean. And then they become sons of God. And they go forward with their great program. They go beyond the angels. Beyond the angels and the gods that are waiting there. They go into their exaltation. A plurality of gods. The third one. The whole design of the gospel. Now this is very incredible because now we're, now we're dealing with the gospel itself. The whole design of the gospel is to lead us onward and upward to greater achievement. Even eventually to Godhood. This great possibility was enunciated by the prophet Joseph Smith in the King Follett Sermon. And there's a reference there that's in parentheses that you can look at. And um, he, he, actually we're going to quote that in just a little bit. But the point is again, many gods. That you can become God. That there are many gods out there. One of the very recent prophets that I'm about to quote in 1994 uh, made, made that statement. Okay, So the first thing that, that Mormonism teaches when it talks about God is you need to understand. They do believe, they will use the singular God, but they believe that the God of the, of the planet we live on, they call his name Elohim. Now that's a name that's taken out of the Hebrew, of course. Okay, But it is certainly a misused term out of the Hebrew. And what you will find as we go into this, that they believe the God that is the God of our world was once a man. That became a God. Now the plurality of God is that we are all basically God embryos. And you'll see that their teaching is that if you live right, if you follow the church rituals, if you are able to obtain to, they believe in three different levels of heaven, if you're able to, believe, to attain to the celestial, the highest place, then you are ready to step into Godhood yourself. So they look at the universe as, the, as an opportunity for many gods to serve as gods of their own planet, out of their own creation. By the way, ladies, you have a great opportunity for this too. Now you can't be gods in that sense. You can't be the head god. But you're certainly welcome to join your husband for eternity and having spiritual babies for whatever planet that you're on so that the spirits of these babies can go into, into the bodies of, the, of, of, of the, the physical bodies of the babies on whatever planet you're on so that they can start the progression also. That's your eternity. Okay? That's why if you ever hear of a Mormon, uh, he, he referred to it at, at, at the temple here, they are the, 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 the Mormons that keep the Mormon faith properly are married in the temple and they're married for time and eternity. It's a, part of, it's a part of their verbiage. and It speaks of their belief that someday that Mormon man will become a god. This will be his wife for eternity. And they will have their own planet. They will have their own system. And they will be the god of that system. Time and eternity. When we do it, we say, till death do us part. And I'm leaving it there because I get in trouble every time I talk about heaven. And whether or not my wife will know me in heaven. Do you think she'll know me in heaven? She probably won't want to know me in heaven, huh? So, okay. Uh, but so the first point of Mormonism is, is this matter of plurality of gods and it was taught I just gave you three quotes I could give you dozens of quotes this is a basic teaching of the Mormon faith this is a foundational teaching of the Mormon faith everything they do is based upon this teaching the, as I just said the temple marriage is upon the teaching the, the, the ritual that they do is upon the teaching the baptism that they do is upon this teaching 
it's crucial for them because they're not they're not when we talk about eternity we understand hopefully we understand that our eternity is to be in the presence of God okay but even in the presence of God we don't become gods in the same we never step into the quote the God class we're still human beings redeemed human beings that, that are privileged to enter into eternity because we've been redeemed by the, by, by the finished work of Jesus Christ but we never become gods but that is a reason for their existence. That's a reason for the ritual. That's a reason for their temples being built all over the place. I, mean, I don't know. I was raised here in, in Arizona. I can remember when there basically was two main temples. The one in Salt Lake City and the one over here in Mesa. Mesa has one of the oldest Mormon temples. That, that are, but now they're everywhere. How many have been to San Diego on the freeway? That's a kind of... Neat looking one, sort of futuristic and stuff. Looks like an ice castle right there on the... But what happens in those Mormon temples? It, they're not the wards that you see over here like on Golden Eagle. The wards are the place where they meet. Okay, But the temple are the place where they do the rituals that, that, that move them toward godhood. It's in temples that they're baptized. It's in the temples that they're married. It's in the temple that all these things happen that lead them to that place so we begin with their teaching which is clearly contrary to the scripture concerning God and the fact that the Bible teaches clearly that there is one God so I must throw this out to you and, and, and you must think about it is the God of Mormonism or the gods of Mormonism the God of the Bible and if they are different gods then where does that leave us do we have any fellowship do we have any uh, lightness in the sense of, of, of worship, in the sense of practice, in the sense of understanding as a Mormon church does, particularly when it comes to God. Let's go on to the second point that's given here. The Mormon God was once a man, just like us. Well, let me give you the biblical perspective first. Numbers chapter 23, take your Bibles and turn there. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. And here's what he says. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? The Bible makes it very clear that God is not a man. If you read the scripture, what you see is man is a creation of God, right? Isn't that what Genesis tells us? Man is a specific, I think a special creation of God for sure. But God is not making little gods. Now, you might get this retort from some people, but don't you guys believe that Jesus is God? And we would say, of course we believe Jesus is God. Well, don't you believe that Jesus was a man? And our answer, your answer better be, yes, we believe Jesus was a man. What's the difference? They believe that God was a man that became God. We believe the Bible teaches that Jesus is eternal God who took on the flesh of his own creation. You understand the difference there? Jesus lowered himself to become like us, to walk in flesh. He, what Paul says in Philippians, that he, he emptied himself out of his reputation. And he took on the form of his own creation. And he came as a man and he humbled himself, even to the place of death, the death upon the cross. So there's a, there's a clear distinction between the understanding of Jesus who is a man, Jesus who is the eternal God who became a man, and the teaching that man becomes God. So let's look and let's see what the Mormons say about this matter of God being a man. 
Encyclopedia of Mormonism says this, The Father became the Father at some time before the beginning, as humans know it, by experiencing a mortality. You understand that term, mortality? Everybody got that? You have trouble with that? Go to 1 Corinthians 15, and when he talks about eternity, when he talks about heaven, he says, This mortal must put on immortality. Mortality speaks of flesh and blood. Speaks of our humanity. So it says, by experiencing a mortality similar to that experienced on earth. Gods and humans are the same species of beings. But at, but at different stages of development in, the, in divine continuum. In, in the divine continuum. And that the heavenly father and mother are the heavenly pattern, model, example of what mortals can become through obedience to the gospel. Knowing that they are the literal offspring of heavenly parents and that they can, can become like those parents through the gospel of Jesus Christ is a wellspring of religious motivation. Did you get what he said there? So much there. First of all, he said that God, the Father, was human. And then he talks about the heavenly Father and the heavenly Mother who are producing spiritual or heavenly offspring. And as I explained that a while ago, the teaching that those offspring that are produced wherever God is... God the Mother, God the Father, and Heavenly Mother are producing these, these offspring. Then, on the created planning for us, it's Earth. Then those spirit babies come into the physical bodies that are the product of the union of a man and a woman. But they're actually produced somewhere else. It's incredible. Okay. So someone asked me one time, "Well, Pastor, where do the soul come from?" You might want to answer that. I can answer for you. God. But not in the sense that they're talking about here. Not in the sense that you have... I just got to... It's Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother are not joining together in their heavenly place or home having sexual relationships with each other, producing spiritual babies through that, through that joining of together, then those babies' souls going into, into human souls here. That's just not, you know. By the way, we will talk about, in, in the coming weeks, about the difference between the virgin birth and how that happened from biblical stance and from the Mormon stance. But Tony, yes. how did this pre-God human get there? I don't got me. The answer, the question was, how did the pre-God human get there? You got, I guess you got to keep on going back. I don't know. That's a, that's a huge question. That's a good question to ask them. By the way, if you ever deal with these gentlemen that come to your house and stuff, it's questions like that that take the what I call take the needle off the record. They got their spill, and you got to take the needle off the record every once in a while. Okay. Let's, let's look at the next one. Brigham Young. What? Is it possible that the Father of heights, the Father of our spirits, could produce himself and come forth like a man? Yes. He was once a man like you and I are, and, once, and was once on an earth like this. Passed through the ordeal you and I passed through. He had his father and his mother. So you know that God has a father and a mother. And he has been exalted through his faithfulness. 
and he has become Lord of all. Do you understand the implication of all of this? He is the God pertaining to this earth. Not the only God, but the God pertaining to this earth. There's that plurality of gods again. He is our Father. He begot our spirits. There's that heavenly joining with his with the with the mother up there. He begot our spirits, uh, our spirits in the spirit world. They have come forth, and our earthly parents have organized tabernacles for our spirits. And here we are today. This is the way we came. Do you understand what it means to organize? That's that's an interesting way to say it. They have organized tabernacles for our spirits. It's called procreation. Everybody get that? Biologically, our human parents, you understand the process? Joined together? The result of that was the tabernacle where the spirit could dwell. But the spirit comes from our heavenly Parents, mother and father, who are the God of this world. But there are many gods, and clearly in Mormonism, there must be also not not only many gods, but many other worlds out there. Okay. All right, let's, let's, let's listen to Brigham a little bit, little bit more. Here's what he said. By the way, if you don't know who Brigham Young is, he's the second prophet of the church, following Joseph Smith. Says when our fa- now this is a, this is so interesting. This will give you a new bent on Adam you probably never even knew. Says when when our father Adam came into the Garden of Eden, he came into it with a celestial body and brought Eve, one of his wives, with him. He helped to make and organize this world. He is Michael, the archangel, the ancient of days. Does anybody else besides me see idolatry there? The ancient days about whom holy men have written and spoken. He is our Father and our God. And the only God with whom we have to do. Every other man on the earth, professing Christian or not professing, must hear it and will know it sooner or later. Incredible statement. So who's the God of this world according to Brigham Young? Adam. This is Adam's world. And he's the God of this world. Alright, let's read on. The exalted person was made manifest to me at a very early day. And I had a direct revelation of this. It was most perfect and complete. If there ever was a thing revealed to man perfectly, clearly, so that there could be no doubt or... uh, What's that word? Dubiety? That must be one of those archaic words that nobody knows. But uh, this was revealed to me and it came in these words. Listen to what he says. And this is in reference to what Joseph Smith also said earlier in the first quote. said, As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may be. This may appear to some minds as something very strange and remarkable. And you say, yeah. Okay. But it it is in perfect harmony with the teachings of Jesus Christ and with his promises. It's incredible. It is blasphemy. And what's even credible that you have you have you have Christians who have no problem with this. No problem. You say, well, who are these guys? I've been quoting you the prophets of Mormonism. 
These are the authorities of Mormonism. You say, can I find what you just read in the Book of Mormon? Let me tell you, have you ever read the Book of Mormon? How many read the Book of Mormon? At least some of it, maybe all of it. Have you read all of it? I've read all of it. You won't find a lot of these right in this book. I'm telling you that right now. A lot of what I'm telling you, you will not find in, in, certainly won't find in the King James Bible. But understand, Mormonism teaches that they have living prophets. For, for many years, that, that has been the distinction in their mind between them being the, the, the reorganized or the legitimate church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and all the rest of the Christian churches because they have living prophets. And the point is, they are their prophets. And when they speak, they speak with authority. Is this Mormon doctrine? You say, well, I don't find it in the Book of Mormon. Is this Mormon doctrine? Yes, it is. It's coming from the mouth of the prophet. Well, now, another comes along and yeah, sometimes that happens. The African American denied priesthood for for many years because the teaching was they had the mark of Cain upon them. Their dark skin was a mark of Cain. Okay, that has changed because a prophet has changed. Even even the declaration of being Christian is a is a change because a prophet says that. So, but it shouldn't surprise you because as they have a developing or evolving God, they also have a developing and an evolving theology. And they see no contradiction in that. Why was it important for me to tell you that God is immutable? Why is it important when the Bible says the Word of God stands forever? It doesn't change. It doesn't change. You can trust the Word of God when God when God spoke it. He said it then, and it's good forever. Not so when it comes to Mormonism. Not so. Alright, so, clearly, well, let me read one more. And I only have two in the last point, but again, there are so many of these, it's hard for me to pick the ones I want to give you, but I did want to, I quoted the, who said these and, and when they said it. And here's the next one, it says, We all know that like begets like, and that the offspring... That for the offspring to grow to the stature of his parents is a process infinitely repeated in nature. We can therefore understand that for a son of God to grow in the likeness of his father in heaven is in harmony with natural law. We see this law demonstrated every few years in our own experience. Sons born to mortal fathers grow to be like their fathers in the flesh. This is the way it will soon be with spirit sons of God. Notice the plurality there again. Spirit sons of God. They will grow up and be like their father in heaven. Joseph taught this obvious truth. As a matter of fact, he taught that through this process, God himself attained perfection. From President Snow's, and I just quoted this, from President Snow's understanding of the teaching of of the prophet on this doctrinal point, he coined a familiar couplet, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become. This teaching is peculiar to the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Listen, this is not a small thing. This smacks it at the very foundation of our belief. And again, I want to remind you, we're talking about people's eternity. We're not talking about temporal things now. We're talking about eternity. Let me go to my last point. And you'll see it on your outline there. It's that Mormonism has a God who's continuing to develop or evolve. Now, some of the quotes I've already read to you, I hope you've seen some of that. So I only added two more to this. But what I want you to see here is that 
out of necessity in their own theology, they must have a God that continues to evolve. If God was once a man, then he had to evolve to be a God or develop, continue to develop to be a God. And quite frankly, that God is still developing. And and clearly, through the way that he would approach this understanding of one prophet saying one thing and one saying another, is it comes by revelation from God. And God is understanding things, and God is discovering things, and God is growing in understanding and stuff. So, when he, as he does, what does he do? He speaks to his prophet, and his prophet speaks to the church. It makes sense, at least from their perspective. Okay? Well, what does the Bible say about God? Well, let's look at a couple of passages before we look at what the Mormons say. Psalm chapter 90. Turn your Bible to Psalm 90. And verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, what's it say? You are God. So he is who he eternally... By the way, his name that he gave to, to Moses states that. Who do I say sent me? You tell them, I am sent you. He was declaring that he is eternal God. One other verse I would like you to look at. Malachi chapter 3. And Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. And verse 6, the first part, here's what it says. He says, For I am the Lord... And what's the next thing he says? I do not change. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He's eternal. And he's a God who does not change. Now, the one other verse that you might be familiar with is in, I think it's James chapter 5, where he says, in him there is no variation of turning. He is eternally who he is. Okay? So, let's read and let's see what the Mormon church teaches about this developing or evolving God. God must have been engaged from the beginning and must now be engaged in progressive development called evolution. Progressive development. And infinite as God is, He must have been less powerful in the past than He is today. Did you get what that just said? He must have been less powerful in the past than He is today. We may be certain that through self-effort, the inherent... And innate powers of God have been developed to a God-like degree. Thus, he has become God. Alright, the last quote that I have for you. God, our Heavenly Father, is still progressing. While he knows all that is, and all that has been, and possibly all things that he designs for the future, and what will be in the future, yet he is constantly adding to his dominion, constantly increasing his power, constantly developing in his resources and his glorious aspirations. This, at least, is our understanding of the condition of our Heavenly Father. That the thought has been expressed and accepted as true that as we are now God has been and as God is we may be and if we have and if we admit this to be true and i have no disposition to dispute it <laughs> then i repeat that even God our father has not re- reached the ultimate 
the ultimatum of his of his greatness his power or his capacity but he is continually increasing and expanding in power in dominion in glory in greatness if I may be permitted to use such terms as these which some people who know no better would call blasphemous so if you call it blasphemous you know no better in connection with the supreme being the father of us all by their own words we have a declaration that this is blasphemy by their own words so what I want you to take from here tonight as we do this matter of comparative religion as you have been taught through the years and it has been repeated today who God is how do you know God you know, you know God and I know God because God chose to reveal himself to us we didn't come to God because we're intellectually superior we're not great spiritual beings but God that we said remember is merciful has chosen to reveal himself to us praise God that he would do that Okay, but he is God and we are not and he has always been God and we shall never be God And he is not a God who is developing or evolving. He is eternally who he is. And if he's ever any... Here's what you have to understand. It's like, I've even heard Christians say, well, Jesus wasn't really God. I had one guy tell me, Jesus wasn't really God. This is a professing Christian. Jesus wasn't really God until he was baptized when God says, you're my son. Okay, let's go over this for a while. My point is this. If there's ever a moment that God is not fully God, then God is not God at all. Everybody got that? God is who He is. And if there was ever a moment in eternity past or a moment in eternity future that He's ever less than He is, then He's not God at all. By the way, who would want a God who's progressing and evolving? I want you to see the distinction. It's important for you to see the distinction. You cannot live in the Southwest without running into people who are involved in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You cannot. You may have family members, I do, that are in the Mormon Church. You need to understand. It's too easy today to say, well, they believe in God and we believe in God and we all believe in God so there's no distinction and no difference. Yes, there is a clear distinction and a clear difference. If you cannot see when the Mormons say they're God, and they may use the singular, but do you understand who they describe their God to be? A being that was once a man that has evolved into the God of this world? They're not talking about the same God. Now next week, and we are going to meet on Sunday night, I know many of you will be away, but we'll tape it like we're doing this. We're going to talk about Jesus. Because what you will find in their own teaching, that Jesus, their, their Jesus is not the same Jesus as, as we believe it. How can he be if their God is not the same God? This is not a small thing. This is eternity. This is the basis of everything. If you don't have God right, you can't have anything else right, can you? So I want you to be equipped. I want you to be able to compare what is biblical faith to what is being taught by the major world religions. Now, before we close out, I just want you to know, we'll be talking about some religions that agree with us on a lot of things. And you need to know that they agree with us on a lot of things. But you also need to know some... This is so drastic... 
This is so diametrically opposed to what the Bible says that, that it astounds me that we have Christian preachers and teachers that say they see no real difference between the Mormon faith and, and, and even evangelical Christianity. It's incredible. It's incredible. And what you'll be seeing, if you haven't been seeing it already, is on the news, on, on, the, on the, the promotion even the Mormon church in the last year has been, we're just as Christian as you are. Watch the commercials. The commercials are going that way. We're just, we're, just as, we're just as Christian, we're just as orthodox as every other group out there. Don't think something strange when you think of Mormons. I'm asking you to look at what they say. Don't listen to the, I would encourage you, don't listen to propaganda on, on either side. There are some anti-Mormon groups that hate them so much that they'll say just about anything. And you've got to be careful to listen to those guys too. The point is to find out what the truth is. The best way to find out the truth is to read what they say. Not what people say about them, but what they say. Compare what they say with what the scripture says. And then you have a basis for making a decision. Okay? You're not robots. Nobody should be here telling you what to believe. But you should be able to read and discern. And as you've made a commitment to walk in Christ and in His truth, to walk in His truth in this day, when the truth seems to be... Let me tell you, the truth is not faded. It's not getting harder to understand. It's just that people don't want to. It seems to be easier just to say, well, that's not that significant of a difference. It is significant. And it's dangerous. It's eternally dangerous in this case. All right, let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your love, your mercy, your grace. Thank you for the way that you love us and and in your mercy that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. And I pray, Lord, that, uh, that we would walk as a people as you've called us to be a discerning people. And the basis of our discernment is not whether we like someone or don't like them, but the basis is your word, the truth. That we be a biblically discerning people. Father, give us this understanding as we walk in this place. And Father, should you bring someone across our path that may be in Mormonism, Lord, Lord, give us the words to share your love and your gospel. And give us to us in a way where it's not combative and, and, and just trying to prove ourselves, but the way you would love them, the way you would share with them. I thank you for this. I thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me throw this out to you before you leave. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why are Baptist kids Baptist? Anybody have that question? What what do you think? Why are Baptist kids Baptist? Okay, I didn't understand a word any of you said. They were what? Because their parents were, they were raised. Please understand this. You know, when I was a youth minister, the, the, the kids kind of got after the, the Mormon church around the, the kids in the Mormon church around the cross. I said, listen, why are you here? Why are you a Baptist? Well, my parents are. I said, that's the same reason those kids are over in that church. Don't hate them. Love them enough to tell them the truth. Okay? And you're going to run across many Mormons, many Mormon people that have never read any of this. They've never read any of this. They don't, many of them, they're like a lot of Baptists, they don't know what they believe. Oh, that was hard, wasn't it? Like a lot of Baptists, they don't know what they believe. Okay? And, and so, 
There's a lot of reasons someone's a Mormon. Tradition. Maybe someone reached out to them and loved them when they were in a time of need. Maybe they saw a commercial that demonstrated a great family unit and a call to family and that just appealed to them. So they went that direction. There's a whole lot of reasons. But the only thing that will help them is you and I being equipped with the gospel of Christ and sharing that out of a heart of concern. Not out of a heart of proving that we're right and they're wrong, but a heart of concern that God loves them and Jesus died for them. Jesse, we're going to share something before we go. One of the things that I used to work with a lot of Mormons 